What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the made-to-move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon hey guys hannah here with the healthy charleston podcast today we have Stu, an er doc who also does crossfit Stu has some awesome insights on what's going on within the medical world and how things are changing. He also has some great ideas on how physicians can broaden their scope, and he gives us a great look at a day in the life of a physician. So without further ado, here is Stu. Stu, what's up, man? Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Surviving um, quarantine, yes. I suppose. Yeah. Aren't we all mm-hmm. trying to keep ourselves somewhat uh, sane through yeah. this process, yep. for sure. So, do you go by doctor? Uh, per, like at work? Yeah, yeah. At work. I go. I go by doctor, but that, okay. I mean, that's a professional title. Like, yeah. I don't expect anyone else to call me that. So you're cool with me saying Stu? Absolutely, hundred awesome. percent. I think it's yeah. a really cool name. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Hannah's here with us too. Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> so um, maybe give us a little story. So you're emergency room physician right now. We've had some really cool conversations about the medical profession and. You know how we could do more with those degrees and how right. there's cooler ways to help people. But before we kind of get into that, I'd love to just hear a little bit about you, your story, kind of like maybe even why you became a physician, what that road was like. I think a lot of people would be interested to hear that. Yeah, so I've been, I'm an emergency medicine physician. Uh, so I'm board certified in emergency medicine. I've been practicing for about 13 or 14 years now. Um, ended up going into medicine. Really, I wasn't one of these people who always knew they wanted to be a doctor. Like, uh, you know, there's some people who that's what they wanted to do since they were a kid. I graduated college and still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, what was your degree? Chemistry. I majored in chemistry and as an undergrad. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it because yeah. it was like a, uh, I think it was more just like the the challenge of it like I like a good challenge yeah. like a good intellectual challenge I did was, like my chemistry like 101 102 but it, like I, I never had to take that yeah. yeah I never had to get take biochemistry get take like bio. oh yeah bio and organic I loved it was physics that I don't understand how people yeah. make sure that yeah was my so that's the only class I get tutored in yeah <laughs> sorry go ahead <laughs> uh so I ended up working a couple of years after that and then then deciding that I wanted to go to med school mostly because um, I mean, like every like every other doctor that I know, you end up going into medicine because you want to do some good in the world and like help people, and and you know it's a career path for people who are motivated and reasonably intelligent and like want to help people make their lives better. Um, and then once I finished med, once I was at the end of med school, you you end up sele- having to kind of select a specialty somewhere in your third or fourth year of med school. And apply for residency. 
Um, and ended up doing emergency medicine mostly because it was one of the only rotations that I really liked uh, when I was in med school. Like I really actually think everything else was kind of mediocre and I did my ER rotation. I was like, this is great. I could, I could do this. And you Why? end up... What's that? Why did you like emergency? I just I think because most people probably think of that and think, oh god, my worst nightmare. Things, you know, people uh, freaking out everywhere. People, as you said earlier, throwing up in the waiting room. <laughs> right. Uh, um, it was. There was a couple reasons. One is it's really. It, I, I like the idea of uh, treating everyone essentially from cradle to grave, as they say. You know, like we, I've delivered babies, and I, you know, we have centenarians in the ER right so like everybody from the day they're born to the day they die um being somewhat of a generalist like knowing a little bit about a lot of things okay, that makes sense. um and the only thing I really know a lot about uh are actual emergencies that's my you know sort of specialty but we see all kinds of ranges of things um uh pregnant women trauma um and I think that really was what the appeal was was kind of you had a yeah you had a you still had a uh, you know, your hands in several different buckets, so to speak. Um, it's like the buffet of medicine. God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of is. Um, so that, I mean, that's how I ended up picking that and then did residency. And um, I was in Philadelphia for about 10 years. Um, I grew up around here uh, in the upstate of South Carolina. And then we ended up moving back about four years ago, uh, my wife and I. Um, and I'm still practicing ER uh, at this point. So... Cool. Um, yeah. So started there and really just haven't divulged from that path yet. Was there any other thing that you were thinking of? Like you kind of go through the, you know, you had the three or four years. Like, oh, this seems good. You do a resident, what's the next residency? Residency, yeah. Right, and that was all emergency room yeah. and stuff. One of the tough things about being a physician is you, you, once you pick a specialty, you're really sort of, um, uh, what's the right, you're, Hogtied? Locked Yeah, I think hogtied might <laughs> be a good in, word. Yeah. You are locked in. I'm so, I mean, one of the advantages I see, I, you know, I look at other people like nurses, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, they can switch out specialties. Like, they, we have, you know, PAs working in the ER who've done family practice or orthopedics or things like that where they've worked in different settings. But as a physician, like at the end of med school, you pick a specialty, it's really tough to switch your career path after that um, for a variety of reasons. But I mean, yeah, it's um, our, it all revolves around sort of board certification and, um, and residency training and that kind of stuff. Right. Well, so, residency is what, four, four to five years? I mean, it takes a big chunk of time. Yeah, my residency was four years. It depends on what you do. It's anywhere from three to five years. And then a lot of people do fellowships after that. So, like, your training can be very lengthy. Um, so, once you're into it, you probably don't want to go back for something different just for another five years. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you'd have to go back through the entire process. You'd have to do, to change your specialty, you'd have to do another residency, which is hard. Not only is it financially difficult because once you, once you're a practicing physician, of course your your income is different than when you're a resident when you're making, you know, forty thousand a year or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and working eighty hours a week at least. Uh, they regulate that now, but it used to be more than that. Um, okay. uh, so you have to do another residency, but that also then like it's tough to get another residency, and this gets into like the politics of medicine because. All, almost all residency spots are funded through uh, Medicare, uh, essentially. So there's only so much, you can only get so much money from the government to do a residency. And like you get, I think, five years of eligibility. So like if you do a, 
it's kind of like being a college athlete. Mm-hmm. Like you have so much eligibility, and once you spin that up, you can't. You can't. You can't um, be a redshirted freshman. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if you did like a four-year residency, like I did, really, I could only get one more year of Medicare funding. So in order to do another residency, I'd have to find a residency spot where the hospital would be willing to pay for me to uh, do that residency, independent of. Medicare. And there's so many other students that they wouldn't have to pay for. Right, exactly. Because it would be funded by Medicare. Yeah. That Medicare funded that. That's interesting. It's, um, and it's not a direct relationship, but that's how the residency spots are controlled, is essentially through government funding. So all the residency spots are paid through, like 95% of them are paid through wow. federal funding. So. Oh my goodness. They are. Yeah. They're probably in this room <laughs> right now, time. actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned, obviously, you know, you had that in going to help people. You're obviously yep. into science, but what was the ultimate driver of what brought you to med school? Compared to anything else, why did you choose to go to medical school? I mean, I really think that's it. Like, I had thought about, I had thought about pursuing, like, a scientific career, like mm-hmm. doing a PhD. And um, originally, when I went to college, I thought I was going to do, like, a PhD in biochemistry or something like that. I had worked in a lab when I was in high school. Um, and I thought I was going to kind of pursue that type of career. But then it was, I guess it was a combination of working with people and the sort of scientific background of medicine. I don't really consider medicine a science. That's a whole philosophy oh. thing we can discuss. Wow. But yeah. <laughs> um, like, um, but the scientific nature of it and, and combining that with working with people um, as opposed to sort of toiling in a lab Sitting independently. In a lab yeah. Yeah. So the hands on piece. Like, I don't right. want to sit in a room by myself looking at a petri dish. Like, I want to interact with other humans. And one of the things that I've learned, and I think my wife, who's also a physician, would, would corroborate this, is that the thing I didn't appreciate about being a doctor is in order to be a good doctor, really the most important skill that you have is being able to communicate with people. Oh man, talk about that forever. And being able to communicate with people who don't have the same level of expertise, understanding, and education that you do. And that's all that's a daily challenge for me is communicating with people about their medical problems, you know, about what's going on current, like what why they're in the ER. It's a it's just a tremendous challenge. And I don't think that that I mean you there's really no time for it. You spend all this time learning medicine and all this kind of stuff, but learning how to talk to people is probably the thing that's taken the longest in my sort of post med school training is you just, it's a continual process of figuring out how to talk to people. We've talked about that in multiple podcasts, whether they're fitness professionals, nutrition, kind of whatever. It seems to be the the biggest challenge for most people is getting what I call buy-in, right? Yeah. So behavioral science or mm-hmm. philosophy, however you want to put it, right? Is the idea of being able to effectively communicate with somebody and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what you should do. And right. then actually getting that human to actually do that thing yeah. is insanely complex. Like clinically, it's not that hard. Like here, you know, eat less, exercise yep. more. Like, okay, we all know maybe the medicine, so to speak, right? Right. No idea to actually get somebody to commit and actually do well, it. Well, if you think about like just getting yourself to do it, I mean, from like a behavioral standpoint, getting myself to be, you, I mean, I'm never going to be 100% compliant with anything, um, but getting myself to do it is hard enough. And I can, I rationally understand all of this thing. I, and so for people who um, don't have that background, that challenge is, mm-hmm. it, is so much bigger. So Yeah, I don't think knowledge is ever enough to make a change. Like no. just what you said, we have all this knowledge and it's still tough to make right. a change. Yeah. And I, I also... I think we, you know, we've talked about this. PT school is kind of the same way. It's like the most important thing is to be able to connect with your with people and your patients, but it's not what's taught. 
Right. Because you have to learn all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, if that's the most important thing, and it doesn't matter how much you know, why isn't this being taught in right. all of our curriculums? I mean, we have three to four years of figure we could fit a lecture class in there, right? Well, we've talked. So it's tough because, you know, like you've covered this some in some of your podcasts, but like even things that you would think would be covered in med school, like nutrition, mm-hmm. aren't covered. So there's not time to cover that, yeah. let alone how to. And that would be sort of an essential component of the, the medical science of stuff. And we don't have time to really cover that, um, you know, and and so trying to, to and there are, I mean, there certainly is med school curriculum where they, you know, try to um, emphasize the, the the patient relationship mm-hmm. and like and try to teach some of those things, but it, it's it's a lengthy learning process. Um, and I think you have to be self aware enough. There's plenty of doctors out there who never really who never get it. No matter how just, they just don't them. get it. Yeah, you have to be self aware enough that this is really what you have to. Yeah. You have to be humble enough to realize that you're you're not always an effective communicator and figure out and even with in inter individually like from one person to the next trying to make quick assessments about why you're not getting through to someone and figure out the right way to yeah, talk to people them people skills and like adjusting your communication style. yeah it's really hard yeah so there's a really good book it's called uh conscious coaching mm-hmm. it's a guy named brett bartholomew he's a strength conditioning coach right and so everybody who's in a leadership or coaching capacity it could be a doctor it could be a strength coach it could be a pt it could be a chiro whatever right has the same exact problem so we did an entire book just on that and he and the what you just talked about which i think is really important i'm, I'm really delving deep into it is called he called it social agility right right so to be able to adapt my communication my body language whatever yep. my my depth of knowledge how i say things a thousand things to effectively be able to communicate to different demographics uh, different ages, different cultural, but like that's yep. a really important skill, right? And and I, I get what you're saying. Like teaching that would be next to impossible. I don't know. Be very very time consuming. Yeah, right? it is. I mean, we did. You get some like cultural quote unquote cultural mm-hmm. competency training where they you know just essentially oh, yeah. make you aware. It's terrible if you do right. that. Right. Well, it's the same for us. But, but if it's it, something that's good, like I, I always say that, right? But it's better than nothing. They're at least laying out there, like if you didn't realize it, that different cultures right. interpret <laughs> different things differently. Like you're, and coming from, uh, you know, an essentially white American um, upper middle class background is totally different than what a lot of people have experienced. And show the wire can show you that. It's a show we were talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. It's That's, totally different um, culture. Right. Yeah. And, and so like in, in people who are from international backgrounds or even other Americans who are from different backgrounds, it's just making you aware that your worldview is not their worldview mm-hmm. is a started point. And anyway. that, that perspective and experience comes from when you're you know, a kid and then you grow up and like, it's all of these experiences that make, make you have these people smarts. Right. And so for mm-hmm. someone who doesn't have them gets into med school, like they're probably not going to learn them in, in no. one or two years. It's going to yeah. take forever. And it's always a challenge, even for someone that well, becomes natural. And part of it too is like, and I realized this, I've realized this over the last few years, but your first, especially during residency in your first few years of practice, your, your, um, mental capacity is 100% focused on the medical aspect of things and trying to make sure you get the medicine right. Mm-hmm. And you had to master that first 
Mm-hmm. Or at least this is the order most people do it in. You have to master that first before you can master the communication. So I have to feel super confident with the medicine and like that part becomes easy. And then the communication, then I'm working on that. Yeah. You know, and that still is a is a work in progress. I love it. I stop there too, unfortunately, right? So it's yeah. saying like, hey, I'm not gonna improve uh, right, beyond exactly. that. I'm just gonna Yeah. So now I find myself spending more time working on communicating with people then because the medicine part is easy for me for the most i mean like 95 percent of the time the medicine's easy and uh because you do the same thing over and over and over. it's repetition yeah um and so now it's figuring out how to communicate with people and because they just have a better experience when you can communicate with them so what do you feel like what are you doing to get better at that that's a good question um I, How do you work on it? <laughs> I don't know that I've done a lot of formal. I think it's more just like I love to. I like um, like behavioral psychology and stuff. So I read a ton of books, and everything is it's just being self aware that I'm like um, uh, about bias, about inherent biases and I'm things like that. Too biased, I can nerd out. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, like I just you know trying to keep myself educated on those things and then it just creates a self-awareness mm-hmm. um uh, during interactions and maybe maybe i'm coming to the table with a bias certainly the patient and then it goes both ways the patient comes to a table with i work in an er where probably 80 percent of the patients are african-american um and so there's um i understand that they're going to come Look, at, they're going to be looking at me with a certain bias and trying to bridge that gap in a pretty short period of time. Um, but really, just trying to stay open-minded, educated about that. I, I haven't really pursued any formal like education or training or anything like that. Well, I think just, there's a lot to be said about you. This is how you put it: it's just like being open to it. Right? Yeah, and just kind of understanding that these are my biases, and then just knowing that, being self-aware. That's what you yeah. said. Being self-aware, and then going there and communicating with different people and just like, okay, that worked. Okay, that didn't. Right? Exactly. Real life kind of experience. That's the best way. Essentially what it is. Yeah. Read only so much. Like, okay, I read uh, Robert Cialdini. I think he's a big persuasion behavioral science Mm -hmm. guy. I can read that all day, but if I can't actually put it into practice, like, I still think the best way for learning things is experience yeah is doing yeah. doing yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing that you want to do multiple yeah. times like, of course yeah. you need okay i need to learn the medicine first before i prescribe it right mm-hmm. like that yeah. makes sense right of course but in a way just get in there and just with real life experience i'm really curious so you said i have to circle back to it i have to i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. so why is medicine not a science and more of a, you said more of a philosophy uh, well no what i meant was so well medicine is but i meant the um so I look at medicine as being scientific okay. and not necessarily a science. So what I mean by that is we use um, principles based in science in order to um, do clinical practice. Right. Like if I get this medicine, it has this biological effect. Correct. There's science. And that, medi- and that medication has been studied to a certain degree and that part is science. But the medicine part of seeing a patient in the office or in the ER and getting a history from them and then taking that information that's individual to that patient and applying a solution for them that's individual is scientific, but it's not science. Because um, you, can, you, could, you can look at all the studies and all the you know, double-blinded placebo-controlled trials, but it can't control for every single variable that 
any individual could bring to the table. So you're trying to find the best solution for that particular person. And that's why it's scientific and not necessarily a science. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? No, it's good. I, yeah. I, I use this example all the time and I, I use it for effect, right? So like we actually don't definitively know that smoking causes lung cancer. Like we just can't, like there's yeah. no, there's too many other variables. Right. We know that there's a very high correlative effect, yeah. right? Like more than likely, but there's definitely people that smoke their entire lives and do right. not get lung cancer, mm-hmm. right? So like explain that. So I get that. It's like the yeah. nuances of, right? right? The human body, bottom line, is more complex than any of us understand, right? right? A physician probably has more knowledge than most people about the inner works of the human body, mm-hmm. but still it's not an exact science, right? right. So like, Cool. If you do this, then this is going to happen. There's just no way to know that stuff. Right. I think it's, it's just, I think it's really cool. You know, if you're gonna, if you have someone who has X problem, let's say, um, I don't know, even even something that seems really straightforward, like a heart attack, right? And you know that the the solution to that problem is having a heart cath done, which is a procedure. Mm-hmm. It's going to fix. You know that you you can look at the data and say, well, you know, your outcome. 90% of the people are going to improve with this. But you don't, it's, the hard part is picking out who that 10% that's not going to improve is going to be. You don't know who that's going to be for the most part. Um, so it's it's the same kind of deal. Like you can look at all the data, but figuring out where individuals fall on that data curve is not, it's not straightforward. And so we use scientific principles in order to um, practice clinically. Yeah, but yeah. it all depends on the person that's sitting in front of you at right. that moment right. in time and what they've yep. experienced and what they're currently experiencing. Yep. Correct. Which makes things considerably more difficult than what you study of they have this, you do this. I mean, it never it's not usually that linear, right? Would you right. agree? No, it's almost never that linear. Everybody brings something different to the table and like it it's rare. It's rare. It's also rare like where you can get like um you know, like a diagnostic test that gives you a yes or no answer. Mm-hmm. So uh, people misunderstand this. I think the common person misunderstands this to a large degree. But like, if you come in with a complaint and I, you know, most people think I can just order a test and then be done with it. And like, mm-hmm. it's a yes or no answer and it doesn't work like that. Like, first of all, you know, I have to, to, to choose an appropriate test based on your symptoms. Um, and then that test itself has a certain amount of variability, like in terms of positive, negative, and um, false positives and false negatives and that kind of thing. And like um, figuring out what's wrong with you based on that is about combining all of those things, your symptoms and your history and your testing and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're going, yeah, it's, you're, never, it's never linear. Now you're going down the rabbit hole I wanted to go down, and that's the problem, the disconnect between us understanding that it's not an exact science and the general public, or let's just say most people, conservatively most people for sure, yeah. think it's an exact science, right? They come in to see us, we tell myself, they get an MRI and they think, oh, I have a herniated disc, right. I can never do anything again because of yeah. that, right? And like, even understanding that even the fact that they have it, like, we can go through layers of complexity there, but even the fact that the herniated disc doesn't even necessarily doesn't correlate mean anything, to or pain like, or Yeah, or even symptoms. that the MRI could be wrong, like there's just yeah. a thousand variables there right. that like people are like, it's not X equals Y. It's, right. Almost never, and that's really challenging for a physician and for a PT to even get the patient to understand that as a principle. Right. Like I, that's the main thing that we fight every day in our practice. Uh, yeah, and I don't really know what the solution to that problem is, to be honest. But that is a huge challenge. Most people think I, I get this impression from 
like the average patient that we're like on Star Trek and we have what is it a tricorder where they just like where bones would just scan you and be like yeah this is what's wrong with you yeah I know and it's not like that at all yeah. um, and then and then to layer on top of that that we we don't have clear-cut answers but then even I mean I think the MRI is like a perfect example because it's so common for people to get MRIs for back pain or shoulder pain or whatever but to layer on top of that the fact that just because there's something that is quote-unquote abnormal on the MRI although it's probably pretty freaking normal um, depending on all depending on how you despite define normal and abnormal but and then just to try to explain to someone that that doesn't necessarily mean that's why you're having back pain like that now they have this well, they have a cognitive biases right there, right? right? Like exactly. I have this test, so this test should give me data because why else would I get this test? Right. I'm inherently but it's really just test. data for the sake of data and not meaningful data. Ugh, yeah, yeah. That's frustrating. Why are they even getting the MRI in the first yeah, place? Right. In my opinion. Expensive machine. Yeah. It's just data for the sake of data. Right. But what I tell patients, why are you getting that MRI? And, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. This is actually a good conversation to have. You're doing that to rule out anything very serious, right? Yeah. Like, so kind of an order of operations. The physician's typically going to get a test to make sure it's not something serious. And it's a good thing that there's nothing serious. And right. if they can look at it through that viewpoint, I can, I can get a lot of buy-in from the patient. It's like, hey, we're not doing this to rule things in necessarily. We're mainly making sure it's interesting. don't it's have a, cancer. That's an interesting point that you make. And it's because I have this conversation daily is that you know people come in for whatever their complaint is, chest pain, belly pain, back pain, into the ER. And a lot of times the conversation boils down to look, I may not be able to tell you what's wrong with you, but I'm going to tell you what's not wrong with you. Yeah. Which is you're not having a heart attack. You, you know, you don't have uh, spinal cord compression that requires. I mean, a, do they get mad at you because you didn't give them a diagnosis? That's Sometimes people get very frustrated with that because you there is a there is a, a cohort of patients who come that, so the ER they come to the ER like with this idea that I'm going to find out what's wrong with me. Um, and we're open 24-7 and, you know, yeah. if you just go in, you're going to see a doctor and whatnot. You're going to get fixed and, and be done. Uh, one of my colleagues uses this as sort of a loose analogy, but he's like, it's like going to the, it's like calling your plumber to figure out what's wrong with your electrical box. Like, it's just not the same thing. Like, sure, your plumber might know a little bit about your electrical box, but they don't know everything and they're not right. the electrician. And it's like, you know, you come to me with something, I'm going to, my job as a specialist in emergency medicine is to make sure to do my best to figure to make sure you don't have something that's going to kill you or seriously harm you in the next few days right like that's what we're working with most of the time uh, and a lot of times like you know people come with back pain or whatever and i you know you can tell pretty pretty immediately that it's not um, a spinal cord issue that's going to require surgery but then you can have a conversation about back pain with them and that's a different different you know scenario but there i that is i have that conversation multiple times a day with people it's like look i am you know my priority is making sure that this isn't something really bad and i may not have the time in two hours while you're in the er to provide you with a comprehensive diagnosis in fact i probably won't but uh, i'm going to give you some reassurance you can go home and sleep that you're not gonna, you know, 
die in your sleep yeah. or something like that. So I think it's very valuable. That's yeah. what emergency rooms should be for, right? And they're not so much maybe anymore. It's kind of like um, people going there with that viewpoint. Well, in the last uh, two or three weeks, they've gone back to one. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because yeah. people are staying away. And I've actually seen far more higher percentage, I guess, of actual emergencies because people are coming for when they Isn't need it. But there's a lot. Yeah. The, the emergency department, unfortunately, has come to this. In this country, people have... Uh, trouble accessing healthcare like they should and uh, with the way the ER works um, I mean if you just show up you're going to get seen um, we have which is I think overall a good thing we, we have to we're compelled by federal regulations to do that um, but a lot of people that's their only it's the only outlet they feel like they can access and there's like some people don't have the ability to pay. Some people don't have insurance and can't get into a primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, some people who have insurance, like it's months before they can get an appointment because they have bad insurance and they're, you know, they're, they're just limited choice. There's also so many, many issues. problems. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, the, 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 the ER has kind of become like the, the, I mean, it is the fail safe for a lot of people, but it's also just like where a lot of people go just to get, they feel like they can show up and get routine medical care and then they're disappointed to find out that I don't do, you know, uh, physicals and checkups and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, we don't do that. that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's good to hear all this from someone who does it every day because I, I feel like, people are very demanding of their doctors. Like you Mm -hmm. see someone as a doctor and you're like, like you said, like I'm going to go in with this problem because I expect them to fix it or know what it is. And I feel like those, like you being able to communicate with them, why that is not the case is so important. And like personally, I feel like that's one of the most difficult and like one of the most draining things about PT is explaining to them that we're ruling things out, that this doesn't really mean anything. Like, how, how do you feel about that, that conversation? Um, some people are quite receptive to that conversation. Some people aren't. And, um, like, it's some people come in, like, thinking that something is horribly wrong with them, and they're very reassured when something's mm-hmm. not. And then some people, it's like I said, like, some people come in wanting an answer, and I can't provide it. And those people get frustrated and sometimes despite my best efforts like i can't bridge that gap yeah um in meeting you know meeting their expectations because their expectations are just someplace that i just can't practically meet um and that so that can be frustrating um the good news is in the er like there's always just always someone else to go see so (laughs) just keep moving you right, to find the right... Well, yeah, you know, you're like, well, I'm sorry that, you know, I, I'm i sorry I wasn't able to answer all of your questions or find out what was wrong with you, but here's five or six things that we thought about that we ruled out, and this is not what's wrong with you, and, um, you know, that could, you have that conversation yeah. a lot, so... Maybe that's the difference with PT, it's like, we're seeing these people over time, and so you, you form a relationship, yeah. and it gets frustrating when you're like, I, I have this thing that could help you, and you're not taking it, and... Not medicine, but you know. I sympathize with primary doctors or people who are in a in a specialty where they're seeing you know repeat visits um, for that reason because you there clearly are people who I mean there's people who have there's a there's a subset of people who have a condition that's difficult to diagnose. 
there's also a subset of people who are just convinced that there's something wrong with them and there's not. And those are, that's got to be the most difficult group of people to work with who have this. Um, and if you're a primary, if you're a primary doctor, you can't, you know, you, you're conflicted by, you're running a business and you want, you know, you need your patients to come back and see you, that kind of thing. But on the flip side, there's just people who are, um, convinced that they're ill and that there's something wrong with them and there must be something wrong and I got to figure out what it is and that kind of thing. Yeah, or something that we all deal with. You talked about it like, hey, uh, maybe I'm not the healthiest person I can be, yeah. right? And like I know to make, to make these changes, but just never do. Imagine just right. seeing the same person oh, year in, year out as they slowly like, I'm going to just be frank, eat themselves to right. death or drink mm-hmm. themselves to death, right? right? not saying that you're doing anything yeah. like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Others, <laughs> but, you know, and then just like not be able to do anything about it and just like, hey, but I mean, sometimes you have to be okay with that. Like practicing now for a while now. I know, I know just like you said, there's certain people that are just going to take it in, make the changes. There's certain people that I've been working on for a year and finally yeah. make the change. There's people that just maybe never will and I just kind of kind of do the best I can and be okay with not take it personal yeah, yeah. that's the challenge right and I think you, mm-hmm. you some people may take it at that point and some people may just get frustrated and may, may mm-hmm. leave medicine or leave PT because they just can't handle that and yeah. it's okay yeah. too you, know? you gotta help the people who you have to help the people who want to be helped I guess and then the people who I hate to say don't want to be helped but the people who are resistant to change you have mm-hmm. to figure out if you're you figure out a way to help them individually in the way that they're willing to accept, I guess, is, you know. And we connected originally, right? Because were you working out with Nate back? Like, is that how? Yeah, so we used to go to the same uh, CrossFit gym. And then that's, so I met Nate there. Um, and then I ended up doing um, the level one, MD level one for yep. CrossFit. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, that was been, that's been almost two years ago. Um, yeah, so that's how we kind of got hooked okay. up. And I know that we'll talk a little bit about this because we're, we're getting uh, close to running out of time. But like, so you're interested in also like, I don't know if you call it integrative medicine, functional medicine. There's so many different names for it. Or yeah. Like, it's not alternative medicine. It can just that be would, medicine. Right. I love that. <laughs> oh, man. That's, Hannah, don't challenge us that much. That's just crazy talk. It can't Sorry. be medicine. It has to be something different. Yeah, I don't know what the right term is. That's part of it. Well, just something yeah. more maybe, right? Like, yeah. hey, like what, what else can uh, we do from it? Like, I'm just curious your thoughts on that maybe. So I definitely have a bias towards um, uh, non-medicine medicine. I don't know, non-medication-based medicine. Sure. Um, You know, a lot of the sort of diseases, lifestyle diseases, um, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, osteoarthritis, things like that are uh preventable and to some degree reversible with diet and exercise and healthy living um and so i have an interest in in those problems and how how we address those problems with lifestyle changes and things like that so communication piece i feel like is a big one there yeah it really is and it's um you know it's um education communication um and really like probably a lot of uh, repetition um, of things. Education, you know? I think. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? It's like just yeah. a lot of it. Part of it, yeah. And part of it is there's just, so, it, it, there's so much, uh, I use the term information loosely, but there's so much stuff out there and some content. of it's quality and content. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, so much content available out there on the internet and other places and some of it's really good and some of it's terrible and and then uh, 
trying to help people sort through some of that is, you know, I think really important too. Like, I mean, just dietary stuff is tough for a lot of people to, I mean, there's so many people who don't understand the difference between, um, you know, basic macronutrients and protein and fat and carbohydrates, let alone understanding the difference between like all of the different, um, that's my son. He's a good Starbucks drink right there. I know, I know. Um, uh, let alone, you know, understanding the difference between saturated fat and unsaturated fat and polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated oh, fats. Like, fats. holy. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, like just getting people to mm-hmm. to not eat McDonald's every day would be a start. Um, yeah. Uh, so, there, yeah, it's, um, but I, I, to get back to your question, I sort of am rambling, but that's where the, um, that interest that interest is I think there's something to be said like certainly there are diseases that need medical intervention but there's so much um, chronic disease in our western society that could be intervened upon with things that seem so simple like healthy eating and ex- regular exercise and good sleep that uh, getting people to do those things could make in a getting people to do those things in a consistent fashion make a huge difference um, in terms of um, the burden of chronic disease in our right. in our society. Yeah, just so. nice to hear you say that. Right, it's cool. Just end the podcast now. Honestly. Yeah, it's yeah. Really yeah. Drop. <laughs> It's you know just it's cool to see that more uh, health professionals and definitely more physicians are starting to kind of preach that because you yeah. don't hear that very often from physicians, just the bottom line, yeah. right? Like, it's not like a lot of people go to their doctor or see content mm-hmm. that says, hey, your physician recommends this for all of your chronic lifestyle diseases. Like, we don't, why don't we see that? Like, that should be like the know. number one message and it's yeah. unfortunately not everywhere. So that's why, you know, it's cool know. that we connected yeah. on that angle, you know? I don't know if it's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that you, you go through medical school and you learn that like, you know, condition A requires medicine and to fit you know yeah. tab a into slot b and fix the problem or yeah it, yeah i don't know it doesn't feel like this is a, a modern and yeah, this isn't a new idea people have thought this for centuries probably so simple you yeah, know, yeah. Like, it's not sexy or it's not very uh, you know profitable either that, well that's that's right? a big that's a big part i feel like those is. are two drivers maybe, yeah. maybe i'm a little biased maybe i'm a little jaded but no i mean it's definitely uh i mean our our medical uh the whole medical system is driven by pharmaceutical industry and yeah. and and it's profit driven like you know you need to have a surgery and take a medicine and you know, and your life will be better. Right. And it probably won't. Well, and so. it's, a, it's a passive treatment to the most part. Like, it's a low barrier to entry. I don't have to change my lifestyle. If right. I just have to yeah. have yeah. surgery or get this thing done that my insurance pays for. Yeah. Then that's, I feel like that's just kind of what people, if, if someone is already in that situation that has led them to need to make the lifestyle change, if they haven't already made it, like, there's a reason why. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's frustrating for sure. I always get um, super frustrated about, like I have a lot of friends and you know healthcare jobs and like I know a lot of students and I feel like a lot of students in any healthcare field grad school are some of like the most unhealthy people 
out there. You know, yeah. they're eating like I love pop tarts too, but like doctors are some of the most unhealthy people I know. All like, the time, I mean, not exercising, super right. stressed, not sleeping, and I'm like, the medicine that that you are practicing is very different than what you should be preaching. And, right. And I take a lot of value to practicing what you preach, and it's like. Even if you, like you said, if you know what you should do, but you're not doing it, how can you expect a patient to do those things? Yeah. So yeah. how did you get into, you know, being healthy, quote unquote? Um, it's still a work in progress. Um, but Russell. yeah, it's, um, I think the way, so the whole way this started was it was exactly what you said. So I finished four years of residency, which is a period of time where you're chronically uh, malnourished and underslept and stressed. And I had started working and I was like, well, I have a little more free time now. Uh, I need to, prior to, like when I was in college, I mean, I was, I was never a great athlete, but like, I mean, I played sports in high mm-hmm. school and like, even in college, I got into like endurance sports, even though I'm a big dude, like I enjoyed, like I did mountain bike races and stuff like that. Anyway, cool. so I was like a reasonably healthy person, but then went to medical school, four years of medical school, four years of residency and everything just went in the shitter basically. Um, and so I, like at that point I was like, I got to get, you know, like I got to get this, my life back together. And I kind of discovered CrossFit at that point. Like, I guess I had heard about it, but I had the time and the money to do it because there is some cost associated with it. It's not the cheapest thing in the world. But, um, so I started going to a CrossFit gym, um, and kind of got into it from there. And then that's where it's like, um, I started learning more about nutrition and through that Avenue. And I was like, it, it, everything started clicking at that point. I mean, I've been on and off doing CrossFit since, I don't know, 2011 probably, and just doing different, like I'll do CrossFit for a while. I work out at home mostly now, but it's like... Don't we all? Um, <laughs> well, true. During, even before that, I was super happy that... Quarantine life. Yeah, I had a, we had a kid a year and a half ago, and I had, before he was born, I was like, I got to get the home gym set nice. up. You were set up. Yeah, so I had everything set up so I could do nap time workouts. Um <laughs> has been that's still when I work out when yeah. he goes down for his nap I got like yeah. got an Crush. hour hour yeah I know exactly yeah. awesome so well cool this was an awesome conversation I feel like we could go for two more hours uh, I feel like yeah. it too I can't believe we've actually only talked this is yeah this up is part already. one yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah. we could we Definitely could dive down this for a while yeah, we'll and I just want to say before we finish sure make sure you're working out stimulates your immune system so Keep away the coronavirus. I like Keep it. Keep exercising, man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Preach. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram, search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. Have phenomenal.